0: i Welcome back to the podcast. We have a special episode tonight. We are going to be delving into social media and how it does or can affect our lives. And we've got a panel of experts to discuss things. We welcome to the show tonight, Jen Weiss from Kaiser Permanente in Los Angeles, Matt Schmitz from San Antonio Military Medical Center, and Dave Bennett from Phoenix Children's Hospital, all POSNA members and all out there in the social media sphere, if you're following. Um, If you're following anything related to Peds Ortho, you're probably following them. It's hard to miss them online. And I'd also like to welcome my co-host for the night from the uh, POSNA Public Education and Media Relations Committee, who are putting on this special episode.
1: Hi, everyone. I'm Phil Nowicki. I'm uh, from DeVos Children's Hospital in uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan. Uh, Hey, this is Craig Lauer from Vanderbilt, Nashville, Tennessee.
2: Hey, this is Corinna Franklin from Shriners in Philly.
0: And uh, we are joined for the night by Caitlin Petrando, who basically should get the biggest shout out of all. She is the POSNA membership and marketing manager and is responsible for all of the great content that POSNA puts out there on social media. So Caitlin, thank you for joining us. And more importantly, thank you for all the social media stuff you do for POSNA. So with no further ado, uh, we are here to pick some of the experts' brains. So I will, uh, at this point, hand things over to Phil. Topic number one is how we currently are using social media.
1: Yeah, hey guys, this is an open an open question for anyone who wants to answer first. Basically, how did you guys start using social media and how has that evolved for you in, uh, both in your life and your practice? Jen wants to answer first.
3: I want to answer first because I just remembered something super funny. So when Corinna... Dr. Franklin was an intern. Um, We were sitting in the surgery lounge and she was really excited because somebody had retweeted something. And I was like, tweet, what's a tweet? Like, I have no idea. And she's like, you have to see this thing. It's called Twitter. And I was like, that sounds terrible. And I walked away from that interaction, um, not understanding how much I was going to like absolutely fall in love with Twitter, Probably what, 10 years later, 15 years later. And I will say that my main um, entrance into social media was just fun. And I started to recognize as I was starting to have fun that there were a lot of physicians out there doing really good things and that there were a lot of societies that were benefiting from that. Um, And so my, um, my entree was pushing the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons to develop a social media ambassador program to amplify our messaging. So it went from fun to a job that's still fun.
4: I'll go next. Uh, this is Matt Schmitz, and and I actually for my first foray into social media was Facebook when my now 13-year-old daughter was born essentially as a ways to, to post pictures that family members and old friends could see. Uh, and that's what I used it as primarily. And then I was a, a later adapter of Twitter uh, and, and now use it to, you know, as a business tool to promote organizations that I work with, uh, promote surgeons that I work with uh, and frequently as a release, as a, as a kind of a release to stimulate conversation. And, and it's been fun to kind of see it grow up and see all these different organizations like the Academy and JBJS and even now AOA coming out and, and forming social media committees and Posna along the same lines. And so it's been really
5: fun to be a part of that as it's kind of grown from its infancy.
1: How about you, David?
5: So uh, I began using social media about the same time as Matt with Facebook. Once it started, I I got a little bit involved with it. But for Twitter specifically, I had the same sort of experience. I thought it was a little bit strange at first, but I uh, got on there and got into the orthopedic circles. And I saw a lot of people from overseas were asking for advice, specifically when I was in fellowship for how to manage different conditions and uh, different problems. And so of course, I was like a fellow, and you think when you're a fellow, you can actually offer meaningful advice to these guys and help them out. Of course, not really is what I found out later on. But I, I thought, okay, well, maybe this is a way we can I can kind of contribute a little bit. At the time, you know, I had three kids and uh, was in fellowship, not really able to do a bunch of overseas stuff. But I, I liked the idea of being able to maybe contribute a little bit to the care of people who are maybe not in such a resource rich environment. Uh, that's perfect. Um, and you guys hinted, this is
6: Craig, um, you guys hinted at some of your preferred platforms and all of you mentioned Twitter. So my question for the group, and maybe we'll start with Matt is uh, do you use any other platforms on a regular basis now? And then the second question for all you guys related to that is um, what is your social media routine look like? You know, if you have a regular sort of uh, routine in terms of when you check messages or how you contribute What does that look like and how do you make sure it's something sustainable?
4: Yeah, so I I do use Twitter, but I use Twitter primarily for medical information, you know, some of my rugby stuff from my involvement with USA Rugby. And then I still use a lot of Facebook and Instagram for pictures. And and that's more towards friends and family. Uh, And so there's some medical stuff that I put on there, but that's more geared towards pictures of my kids playing sports or uh, whatever I'm grilling on Sunday evenings it usually shows up on Instagram and, and Facebook. Uh, and then my, my the way I do it is, is I'm, I'm very kind of, I do it in batches and it's based around when free time is. So if I'm waiting for a turnover uh, in between cases, I'm at an academic center where there's notoriously long turnover. So I'll use time like that. Um, I'll use time when when um, I'm at my daughter's soccer game during warmups. Uh, I'm the guy on my phone doing stuff at that time. And so I, I don't do it every day where there's a bunch of tweets uh, every day, but I tend to do it more in batches when I have free time. And I think that you've got to be careful that it doesn't start to impede upon your family time. So you shouldn't be doing it. In my opinion, uh, we have a rule that you don't do it at the dinner table when you're having dinner, right? You make sure. And so it's got to be in, in, in what little free time you have uh, five minutes here or five minutes there.
6: That's great. Dave, what, what is it like for you and Matt kind of hinted at it a little bit too, but what do you, what do you do in terms of like, I see you commenting on everything, it seems like, and I wonder how you kind of split your time between make, between making content, creating content, commenting on other people's content.
5: Uh, typically, like Matt said, it's it was during turnovers when I was uh, able to sort of cultivate a little bit of uh, social media, I guess. Presence and so that's for the most part when or when I'm just sitting around between patients or, or something like that. It's usually out and we're we're looking at stuff or I'm talking with residents and and we're kind of looking at things together. And uh, in, in general, it's been it hasn't detracted too much from the rest of everything else because again, just when you're sitting around, you end up looking at your phone and man, that's usually the thing that pops up typically on Twitter for me. And, as, and in terms of other platforms. I used to have. Uh, I used to be on Facebook a lot, actually, right when it came out. But as uh, more and more people got on there, more and more of my family members, and and you know, you get looped into drama every once in a while. It's kind of uh, superfluous, and so I, I I didn't I didn't really like that. So <laughs> I, I ended up kind of weaning it down or making that sacrifice. So I wasn't on too many platforms, and then Instagram for sharing with families pictures and things like that, and then. I, I do like Twitter for the academic content, and it seems to be going that way to be more of the academic side of things, where you can get a little bit of information or link to an article pretty quickly, and I, I like that. Awesome, Jen. Same question: Do
6: you have other platforms you branch out to, and what's your kind of routine for use?
3: Yeah, I do. Um, so, to me, um, my handle is my mom, the surgeon. And that came about, um, from, um, Jack Flynn, actually. Um, he asked me to do an ICL with him many years ago on, at the time it was called stress management. Um, and now it would probably be more about wellness or, um, and he said, can you just give a talk? Like, you know, my mom, the surgeon. And I was like, that that's totally me. Um, and the reason that, that, um, The audio is going to get messed up by my Rhodesian Ridgeback right now. Um, The reason that um, I mentioned that now is that my content or my intent of being on social media is to give an example to women that you can be a surgeon and a woman and a mom and quite honestly to men that you can be a surgeon and a dad and that that's acceptable um i think if i had to do it over again i'd be my parent the surgeon but um so i use that um that's my common theme and that's why you'll sometimes see me or hear me or read me um, being very clinical. Um, Twitter, I'm my snarkiest self. I think it's, um, I think it's the easiest place to do that. And I use it as my news, I originally used it as my feed, So I started doing it because I would, between cases, start to look at the New York Times. And then I was like, I'll just look at Twitter. You know, it's super, condensed for, you know, me the orthopedic surgeon. So I started to be very snarky on Twitter. And then um, when I started Instagram and I realized it was more about the stories and the people who followed me on Instagram, um, which is not very many, it's only like 2,500. It's like more, um, I don't know, it's more personal there. And so that's a little less snarky. Um, And then I'm on Facebook, but I don't enjoy it because it's not as interactive, at least in the way that I do it. Um, And then lastly, I'll mention something that came and went from my life, which is Clubhouse. And Clubhouse is a cool idea of a place that really houses almost pop-up symposia. But what's happened is Twitter um, and really Instagram have developed their own versions of that. Um, And so I think what we're finding is that there's opportunities on social media, not just to represent ourselves, to react, to act, but also to gather, um, to discuss. And that's what we love to do, I think, at POSNA, is really connect as a community and discuss. And I think that it will be really neat as we start to figure out these more interactive group areas that perhaps we as um, a social media group from POSNA can take advantage of that. Sorry for the long-winded answer.
6: No, thank you for the answer.
2: Thanks, Jen. I'm actually going to bring it back to you with another question on what kind of information you like to share, and then who's your main target audience for that information?
3: So um, we all know that the kind of information that I have to share is like completely uncensored, random things from the top of my head, and um, or we might not all don't know that. I assume that you guys might follow me if you ask me to be on this. Um, so the way that The reason that I let myself do that again is I want people to see that being a surgeon and a mom doesn't mean that you have to be super serious all the time. And it doesn't mean you have to be super, super focused, on the topic at hand all the time. So I agree when I'm turning over cases and they're making me wait an hour, um, I'll probably get into some conversation with Nancy Yen Shipley on Twitter about, um, the headlight that she's wearing while she's walking her dog and being as dorky as possible. Um, you know, there's just, I think it's the humanity that it's fun, but it's, it's important, not just for up-and-coming medical professionals to see, but patients too. I think humanizing physicians in this day and age is really important because there's just so much angst and anxiety surrounding getting medical care and getting to your physician that the um, humanity and community is important.
2: Thanks so much, Jen. Uh, Same question for you, Dave. Can you talk a little bit about the purpose of your social media use?
5: Yeah, mostly it's a it's probably more a coping mechanism than anything else. Time killer in the, in the free time. It's not, not a definite method to my madness anymore. It started off like I wanted to help other people who had a lot of clinical questions, but quickly, as soon as I got on social media, I realized that most of the other docs on social media were way smarter than me. So I started learning a lot of little things and, and that kind of gets you, I don't know, a a little more addicted to learning new stuff and, and kind of exploring new relationships with people. And so I think that the purpose now is just turned into mostly developing uh, a network of people to talk to, who I can talk to specifically about orthopedic stuff and, and a little bit about your regular life. And it kind of, especially during the COVID period when we weren't able to get out, very much. It developed into a little bit more than that, which is kind of nice. A network of people who are like-minded, who have the same interests.
2: And how about you, Matt? Are there ways that your usage diverges from these two?
4: Yeah, I mean, I think it depends a lot of what my mood is. And and it depends kind of what I've decided I want my message to be. And right. So like, if I'm super frustrated, because when we're on our third shutdown, because of COVID numbers increasing in San Antonio, I was posting a lot of vaccine information and a lot of snarky comments uh, uh, against the anti. Baxxers. You know, I do a lot of of promoting, depending if I'm wearing a JBGS hat or a POSNA hat or an AOA hat, uh, trying to promote what folks in those different organizations are doing and highlight what they're doing. Folks in our department trying to highlight what they're doing or for the Society of Military Orthopedic Surgeons. So, you know, I kind of bounce around and and there's some snarkiness in there. There's some uh, retweets of of friends and trying to increase their message out there. Uh, And then, um, you know, it just kind of depends what the mood i'm in if I, you know that's it Dave talked about it as a coping mechanism i think sometimes we use it as that it depends what's going on in your life whether you're you're retweeting funny memes of uh you know that that dog drinking a coffee and a fire that says i'm fine everything's fine because that's what your mood is at the time and i think it's okay to use it for that because it, it should be it should be a release at times and it should be something that you that you enjoy doing uh, if you're going to do it
0: great answers so for those listeners who may not be very experienced with social media, but maybe sort of social media curious, it sounds like as a consensus, Twitter's sort of the academic favorite. And it sounds like as a consensus, everyone sort of has their own ways to make sure they're making it fun and engaged. Um, and there's a lot of ways to do that. So we are going to transition now from sort of how everyone personally approaches social media to sort of your thoughts a, on a bigger scale impact of social media on medicine, on uh, orthopedic societies, et cetera. So uh, I'll hand it back over to Craig. Thanks, Carter. Um, so this question, I'd actually like to start
6: with Jen, but asking you guys to kind of look into the future a little bit um, as to what type of social media tools you think are currently underutilized or underappreciated may become you know, more important uh, in our roles as physicians or uh, just anyone involved in medicine in the future.
3: One platform we haven't mentioned is TikTok. And if we want to educate patients, I mean, we kind of just have to go where they are and we're pediatric orthopedists. And so TikTok um, is where they're living now. It will be different, you know, in a month or uh, three but I think that that is an underutilized app. I've delved into it. I did a lot of vaccine stuff there. That's where I did my, um, you know, because we got access to vaccines super early as physicians. And so I did my, I'm getting my vaccine and did a TikTok and my kid would be like inadvertently dancing in the back or something. Um, and that that's one thing we haven't mentioned. And then the other thing that I'll say that's interesting um, about kind of the future and what we're doing for medicine as a whole is that we know now that societies are very unlikely to develop a big followership other than their members. Whereas individual physicians, and this is medical societies, and but individual physicians um, absolutely grow beyond members. They grow to um, people who want to do what they do. They grow to patients if they want to face that. Um, face that crowd. So I think that um, what we're doing within POSNA is what we did within AOS, which Matt's also bringing to AOA, which is saying, if we want to amplify our society voice, um, we need to engage with our physicians who have followings um, and, you know, our micro influencers to get our messaging out. And um, I think that that's a patient education tool that's really low hanging fruit. People did it again a lot with the vaccine effort. There's a a hashtag, this is our shot. Um, There was the effort of the um, this is our lane about gun safety. And um, these are things that I think are really effective when banding together.
6: That's great. Matt, what are your thoughts on other tools uh, that might be underutilized or underappreciated
4: in medicine? Yeah, I agree with Jen about the concept of TikTok. I do have an account, but it's only to monitor my 13 and 11 year old daughters. I haven't actually I, I get on there about once a week and make sure there's not too much nonsense going on. Um, you know, one of the things that I'm really interested in is the concept of alt metrics. And, you know, there are the journals are looking at how what kind of content articles create. And it gives you an altmetric score based on how many retweets and news articles. And there's some early data suggesting that it may even correlate with citations. Um, and so I think that there is a role for folks to get out their their science message by either instagram or tweeting bits of their articles or links to their articles and so i think that's one thing that we'll potentially see in the future that that journals and societies will will be more proactive in trying to get out research and like jen talked about especially as it focuses around dir- different um lanes of 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 thought so the vaccine or this is our lane i think that's a way you can really get your message out there but but also do it with a scientific background by linking to articles Uh, And so I'm really interested to see where that goes, because I I do think that there's going to be some movement in that area.
6: And and Dave, any uh, divergent thoughts
5: other than what's already been stated? I want to uh, support what's been stated. I think that TikTok is pretty huge. If you look at the following and some of these these uh, influencers on there, there's like four or five million. We had a scribe who was on TikTok for a while and he paid for medical school that way. He uh, paid off his medical school debt uh, or or he was, I'm sorry, he was pre-med. So he paid off his obligation beforehand. So he didn't have any debt going in, which is pretty incredible. Uh, But I think the audience, the the peer numbers in that regard are really good. Now, mine is mostly just me and my kids. Like my kids will tell me about their school day or tell them me facts they learned or something on there. But I think that it could be really utilized more for the orthopedic surgeon to give just a brief summary of different pathologies and the way they're treated. And I've seen some people do that pretty effectively, and they're getting uh, many thousands of interactions. So I agree with that. And I also agree with uh, retweeting messages and um, articles that you publish, any publication. Someone on Twitter said that an article without a retweet about it is like a touchdown without kicking the extra point. I, and I agree with that, and maybe even more so. Yeah, sometimes you won't ever get your, your article out there unless you, you kind of promote it. So I, I know that's not really different from what, what they're saying, but I, I completely
1: agree. That's perfect. Thank you. So this is another question for the group. How do you guys feel that we as physicians, and specifically Hosna, how can we use social media better in the future? Um, Matt, why don't you start off?
4: I think there's two main ways, and it's it's depends on who you're talking to. So so patient education, I think, is one. Whether we've talked about that with TikTok and try to get, you know, there's ways that we could put together little TikTok videos about anterior knee pain and stretching or flexible flat foot to really just call, you know, how many patients do we see in our clinic every week where it's it's really the purpose of the the visit is is patient or specifically parent reassurance, and so to have some of that out there on social media, and then some of the things that that we're already doing is really highlighting the great work that our members do on a day-to-day basis. And I, I think that's a fantastic way to promote people um, in in all the, you know, we all do this on evenings and weekends, right. And, and all the extra stuff that we do that doesn't involve fixing kids' bones, uh, whether it's research or committee involvement, et cetera, highlighting that, you know, is it's, it makes people feel good. It makes them feel appreciated and that garners engagement.
1: Excellent. How about you, Dave? I think that uh, specifically
5: POSNA, uh, I think they do a great job of engaging, putting out patient information. I agree, uh, adding a little bit onto TikTok and videos and things like that would be really, really helpful. Promoting causes that are really uh, helpful, I think, to the um, pediatric orthopedic societies in general, like um, muscular dystrophy society, for example, or Marfan society, those things. I think engaging with those uh, smaller groups and kind of boosting them a little bit would be another helpful way that that POSNA specifically could be more useful on social media. But I, again, I do think that it is the individual doctors of POSNA, the ones that, who are on there that probably get the most engagement. And it's probably because of the uh, real life sort of background that you get. It doesn't seem like it's automated, for example. It doesn't seem like someone's using a machine making a bunch of tweets or a corporate group is kind of coming up with an idea and then tweeting it out. It's more real.
1: And Jen, how you you know you've got such involvement with all different uh the different societies based upon your experience with the other societies? How do you think POSNA can improve or is doing something better than the other ones are doing?
3: I think that POSNA always has for me, it's a small society, and we're about taking care of kids that are challenged by getting broken or being born with differences. Um and so I think we have a leg up, sorry to my other societies on heart. um, and I think that the community that we um that we are is one that is just um, oozing with with pride. And I think that where we can make even more of a difference perhaps than our sister societies is in reaching out to children um, to support them through this, whether it's in educating them, whether it is in amplifying better care for them, or whether it's just supporting their differences. And um, to me, uh, getting out, getting their stories out there for them to feel like they're not alone. I think that's a really powerful piece of social media and I'll like it. And honestly, to being a woman in orthopedics, like we're kind of weird unicorns in our own worlds and social media came around and we were able to coalesce. Um, and you know, I was always been lucky to work with women, but not all women have been. And so I look at that and I bring it to the patients and I know that our kids with rare diseases getting to connect them
1: would be really cool. We have a chance to have some input from the home office too. Caitlin, what do you think?
3: Well, I think a lot of our content, like what was mentioned, right? Our doctors have the bigger followings, the bigger impact and makes it more personable. So I think half of our content is coming from our members. It's another way to connect with other people in the society. I mean, I honestly laugh sometimes at some of the stuff posted and I'm like pumped to retweet it or, you know, repost on Instagram because I'm getting a kick out of it. And I barely honestly get half the stuff because it has to do with medicine. So it's just, it's a blast seeing what you guys put out there.
2: One thing that I imagine a lot of people would really be interested in is if any of you guys have regrets or thoughts about something that you would, might do differently if you were wading into social media currently. So, uh, Dave, let's start with you.
5: Yeah, but for the most part, any anything I worry about or think twice about, I just delete. So uh, <laughs> that helps. But uh, there's a new function, at least on Twitter, where you can do Twitter blue. And it gives you a little bit of time to think about whatever you tweet out, typos or whatever. Although, obviously, if you ever read my stuff, I don't care that much about it. But you can undo, essentially, something before you send it. I think that's a a good thing as well.
2: Jen, how about you?
3: I had a uh, tweet that I put out... um, at the beginning of the uh, post vaccination era um, where one of my partners was gotten both of his vaccines two months later, he got COVID and it was that first wave and it was super scary. And I tweeted about it and it went, started to get out, get up there. Like, I don't know, 200, 300,000 impressions, which was a lot. And I got a message from a partner of mine at Kaiser Permanente who is that this is our shot guy. And he said, and it was a private message and we were friends. And he said, Jen, I just want you to think about that tweet that's out there because I'm worried. I'm worried that it hasn't yet, but I'm worried about where it might go if the anti-vax community um, amplified it and twisted it. Um, and I know it's not your intent. And um, I ended up deleting it and I actually did a podcast. I have a podcast and I did a podcast episode with him. His name's Alex McDonald about what went into that decision. And if I could do it over, I would never have put that out there. And I'm still grateful to this day that it didn't get amplified in um, the way he was afraid that it would. So we have to be careful. And I think that we have to be unafraid to pull it and unafraid to apologize if it's something we shouldn't have put out there in the first place. And that's what I did.
2: Thanks. Um, That candor is really appreciated. Um, Matt, anything to add?
4: Yeah, the only thing that I would add is that there are people that are going to hate whatever you say uh and they, and they won't be afraid to say it and you cannot win those arguments and i tr- i've tried to win the arguments they're impossible right you go down to a rabbit hole and and you know it's user3927 they've got you they they know all the data um and so i'd be careful cuz it can be a huge time sink uh, and the other thing is is that there are some people that just are going to hate social media to hate it uh and, and some of my loudest critics are have been folks that don't even have social media accounts, which I find completely ironic. But some people are just going to hate it to hate it. So uh, I, my message to folks is that dip your toes in it and see if you like it. If you don't like it, you don't have to do it, right? Um, but it's not harmful and, and you can make it so it's not harmful.
0: That is perfect segue because for this last part of the uh, show to wrap things up, we really wanted to talk to those pediatric orthopedic surgeons and trainees who are listening who may be interested in uh, dipping their toes in the water and checking out social media, but it just feels like a bit of an obstacle um, to overcome. You know, everyone on uh, this call right now obviously thinks there's value to the pediatric orthopedic community and our education and communication with social media platforms. But I will hand things back over to Corinna to take us in that direction and uh, sort of talk about what people might want to know getting started with social media.
2: Well, For sure, I think people would like to know what kind of trouble is possible with social media. Um, if any of you guys would like to start with a comment on that.
5: Yeah, I can I can kind of speak to that. So, when you, uh, especially when you first get started, it's easy to get dragged into a fight, uh, like Matt alluded to, with trolls or people who just kind of are, are depressed or they just want to get into it with you, basically. And, um, and it's easy on all fronts just to kind of come back at them, um, especially if they say something that's just clearly incorrect. I think um, one of the better ways to deal with it that I've learned kind of over the years, the hard way is just to, to just either mute, block, or don't, you can reply of course to, to genuine questions, but uh, maybe not, not get into it too much back and forth. Uh, and I think that's where you can get into trouble just a little bit is, especially if you, you start getting heated or emotional about, a certain topic and someone's just clearly wrong and everyone knows it and you just keep going at them.
2: Thanks. I think that's really helpful advice. Jen or Matt, anything to add to those comments?
3: Uh, These days it may go without saying, but we haven't said it. So I think we need to patient information, we have to be really careful about that. And I actually, anytime I'm going to put a tweet up that was, um, or an Instagram or anything that involves a picture, I actually got a second set of eyes to make sure I haven't included anything in that picture that I didn't know. Um, Once I actually had something in the background that had part of a medical record number. Um, And somebody sent me a private message. It was like three of the eight numbers, but one of my partners sent me a message and I was like, oh my God. And I took it down. And that was when I made that policy for myself. So you can't be too careful with that. The other thing is that if you work for an organization, or if you're in a large organization, you need to understand what their rules are. And there may be rules that you're not allowed to be on social media during the day, in which case you can't post while you're at work. Um, you, it may be um, that they don't want you out there representing them at all. So you just have to know what your home organization believes. And there's some articles actually that the AOS put together in AOS Now and I believe, kind of the rules of the road that I recommend you, You, um, if you're going to do anything other than just fun family stuff and represent yourself as a physician, that I recommend you uh, be familiar with.
2: Thanks. That's super helpful advice. Matt, do you want to finish that question out? The
4: only thing I was going to ask That is that, um, especially if you're young in your career, if you are posting about social issues, you you or calling out a group for uh, behavior that you don't agree with, there is a chance that you will anger that group. So some advice that was given to me is make sure that's not the group that's paying your paycheck every week right? And so if you want to call out a a subspecialty society for a mantle, um, you know, just understand that you're not going to be high on their list when they're looking for volunteers for a committee position uh, in the next year. So you you have to understand that. And I think that goes into understanding what you're doing. Uh, And I totally echo Jen's comments about patient anonymity. You got to be really careful about that because that's the one thing that can, that can hurt uh, your your ways of, of your career, right? That can, your hospital can punish you for that so you got to be super careful and i know i I was going to say i know some of my best friends that are real big into social media they actually have specific consent forms that they have their patients sign saying that we're going to use your arthroscopic videos in an instagram post so we have permission for that so that's one way that you can work with the patients on that
3: our organization has that actually a boilerplate um, and yes i highly recommend that and if your organization doesn't have it um reach out to one of us we can help you get one
5: yeah, ours has a five-page consent, and it has all the social media platforms, I think, that there are, or at least commonly used, and uh, the family has to basically consent to all of those things, and they're scanned into the chart, and then we document it as well. We talk to the family also.
6: I, I kind of want to, this is Craig, and I want to follow up down that path um, because, you know, the intent of this section is to help people get started, and Jen kind of referenced some great resources as as to where to go to look, but... Um, maybe we could even discuss some of those, uh, the process of, let's say, uh, and anyone can take this question. Let's say you have a patient in clinic who has either really interesting outcome, or they seem to really want to share that outcome with maybe other patients. You know, what steps do you take? What discussion do you have with the family to put them on social media and, you know, kind of spread that good news, if you will?
5: Um, I'll start if that's okay with you guys. Our hospital, since I've got here at least, has really gotten involved in trying to use social media to share stories with families so that they know at least that they have the resources in our area. So we have a spine coordinator for our spine program who gets all the consents and will post stories. And we have like an Instagram account that she'll post stories for for them. Uh, But from the beginning of my my practice, I, I started... Telling families they can just take a picture of their own x ray, which is totally okay. And they can, and I don't tell them to post anything online, but most of them end up doing it anyway, I think. And I'll end up running into it every once in a while on there. But unless it's a case where something can be learned, I usually won't post an image and definitely not without pretty explicit permission. Our, our, our hospital is very, very uh, clear about that.
4: Yeah, I, I would echo that, you know, if, if there's something interesting, you know, I talk to the family first, usually the the, the teenagers want a picture with you because they're putting it on their TikTok or Instagram anyway, uh, and then asking them and having them fill out a consent form, asking, you know, and it's usually just a picture of the two of us with the thumbs up, um, but you can, you can, you know, you can ask them for the permission. Um, I, I can tell you coming home after a day of clinic and seeing that you have some new followers and recognizing that you that they're patients that you've taken care of on Twitter. And, and it's, it is, it is kind of fun to see their perspective on things. And so I would, I would tell folks, don't be nervous about it. Just do it the right and safe way. And, and, and there's plenty of folks that do.
6: Thanks, Jen. Any, uh, any other experience with that or anything else to add?
3: Yeah, a couple of things. Um, uh, one is if you're really into it and you want multiple platforms, there are um, apps that will um, that you can create a post and it will put it out to different platforms. Um, Hootsuite is one of those. Planoly is another one. Um, some one of those is like. 30 bucks a month. Hootsuite is, um, I think, has free trials for three months. So that's one piece of information. Um, And another is um, a pearl that I learned from Nima Mehran, who is uh, one of my partners who's a sports um, surgeon. He's got his Instagram following is outrageous. And what he does is, if he's going to post something about a patient, he number one, of course, gets their consent, but then he also masks it by never posting it near the time he sees the patient um, as even one more way of keeping it confidential and safe.
1: Well, this is going to be kind of like almost like the wrap up question. Phil again. For the group, what advice do you have? Newbies or, or people coming along once they're online, where do you uh, recommend them to go? Where do you recommend them to start? And um, any uh, last words of wisdom or pearls to uh, offer them advice?
3: I'm gonna start. I'm sorry, I'm speaking too much, but I'll start with this little one, a little pearl, which is on Twitter. Have a buddy, and like when Corinna came on Twitter, I was like a promoter of Corinna, like I, she, cause I know she's hilarious and she's going to say funny stuff. Um, and so if you're going on to um, Twitter, especially, if you buddy up with someone's got a following, they'll um, help get you some banter and get you out there.
4: I was going to say, just, yeah, I said it before, dip your toe in and see if you like it, pick a platform spend a little time on it. um, See if you like it. You know, the the other thing is that there's data out there on it. It can be an addictive behavior too. So be careful. You don't want to be spending eight hours a day uh, staying up till three in the morning on Twitter. So, you know, pick a platform, whether it's Instagram, whether it's, whether it's Twitter, uh, develop an account, follow some of your friends Uh, and see if you like it and if you don't like it then you can turn it off right and and but i think that i think that there's the whole for me getting into twitter was i was i didn't know how to do it and i was really scared about how to do it and so you spend you spend a month kind of just browsing around and and, oh, okay and maybe i'll try a post or i'll try this and then it kind of builds so just you know dip your dip your toe in the water's fine
5: i would recommend also i agree with all of those things and i would recommend that you uh at least secure the accounts in your name. Uh, I've I've heard of different accounts being kind of co-opted or different people's names being co-opted and it tries to be either sold back to them or else different things are tweeted out in their names incorrectly. So I I don't think it's a bad idea, to, even if you're not going to use social media, to just uh, open the account, get it at least secured for you, uh, get a good password on there uh, that you can only access. And I think that that's a reasonable thing to start off with.
0: Well that's it, everyone. That is uh, all of our questions and some great answers. Thank you for listening. Any questions, comments, especially you know, follow-up questions about than content tonight. As always, uh, we're available at Pedswortho Podcast at gmail.com. And um, if you're dipping your toes in the water, make sure to follow Posna. Make sure to follow all, all these guys. That's my mom the surgeon, Dave MBMD, and rugby md on Twitter. Thank you guys so much for your time joining us tonight. This has been fun. I've learned a lot and I uh, hope the audience did too. Thank Thank you. Thank you for doing this and putting it together. Our pleasure.
3: Good evening. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for including me.